And that's a wrap. That was fantastic. Yay, team. Brought to you by iLand, this is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand, and at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bites in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about how customers can improve the security of their data in the cloud. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm a cloud technologist for iLands and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes some seriously security-minded professionals. Let's start by having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important when considering the security features customers should look for in their cloud providers. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Williams, and I am a multi-cloud consultant working for Worldwide Technology. I help our customers design, build, and uh, create a governance wrapper around their multi-cloud solutions, leveraging both public and private clouds, and helping them to use it more effectively from several pillars, uh, including security, which is what we're going to talk about today. And my initial thought on security in the cloud is, I will die on the hill that I can build a public cloud more secure than you could ever do in private. A high bar to start with. Great. (laughs) My name is Trevor Pott. I am technical security lead at Juniper Networks. My life basically involves attempting to explain complex technologies to various different target audiences, drawing on a lifetime of being a systems administrator to hopefully help me explain it in direct opposition to some of the other opinions that you will have here. I uh, believe that while it is possible to make a more secure public cloud than anything you can build privately, it is based on trusting a public cloud provider, and that is something I find very hard. The gauntlet has been thrown. Have at you, sir. (laughs) My name is Tom Hollingsworth. I am a networking analyst for Gestalt IT, as well as an event lead for Tech Field Day. I like to wax intellectual about a variety of technical subjects. Security is kind of one of my favorite hats to wear. And I would argue that no matter how secure your cloud is, you are one stupid user away from a very bad day. Amen. So concentrating your security posture on solving the protein robot problem is where most of your efforts should go. Excellent. This is going to be a lively topic. So thank you all for joining me. Customers have historically feared the cloud due to their lack of control, particularly when it came to security. But like everything in the InfoSec space, what cloud providers can provide to customers has evolved over the years. The challenges of shared responsibility and numerous options that may or may not be built in still require customers to be thoughtful about what and how things are created and secured. So clearly security is top of mind in any data center implementation these days. Chris, in your work with customers, are they viewing the cloud as more, less, or equally secure as the on-premises implementations? So, as any good consultant or architect will tell you, the answer is always it depends. So, it depends upon a number of things. It depends on the type of cloud that you're choosing and what you're trying to do with it. It depends upon the actual customer themselves, their level of cloud maturity, and what points they want to leverage. 
And it depends upon their understanding, i.e. how good they are at whichever particular cloud they're looking at. Since I spend most of my time in the quote-unquote multi-cloud public cloud area, I'm going to speak to that specifically. The shared security model is a model that the public cloud providers want everybody to pay attention to when we're talking about security. And what the shared security model states is that there are roles and responsibilities and layers that the public cloud itself is responsible for. Then there's the layer that the customer is responsible for. And having a bright line delineation between those two layers of responsibility and understanding what your piece of it is, is paramount to being able to leverage and fully implement a cloud. So the example is this. A public cloud provider takes care of the hardware. They will destroy disks for you. They will keep their switches and their routers revved up and firmware. They will prevent DDoS attacks on your infrastructure. But if you have a web server and on index.html, you have the username and password and the shared secret key for your entire environment, then it doesn't matter what they've done. You will be breached. You will lose your data. So when I say that I'll die on the hill of a public cloud being more secure, it's with the understanding that you do have a customer that understands that bright line delineation and the layers of responsibility in the shared security model. I don't have to worry about revving up my firmware on my switches, but I have to make sure that I do pen tests. I have to make sure that I have secure code. I have to make sure that I have minimized my approach footprint that I've minimized the number of, you know, that I don't have SSH open to the world. There's a laundry list of security issues that you still have, but it's not nearly as long as the laundry list of security issues that you have to address in a private environment. It's still a checklist and you still have to tick off all of the boxes. And that number of boxes grows exponentially every day. And there's people out there constantly trying to find new and innovative zero days to hack into your environment but you will have less things to worry about in a cloud. Now, that being said, there is an asterisk next to everything that we say. We always have to do our due diligence, but then there are the unknown unknowns of what we deal with. So that's my opinion of that. Chris, I've got a quick question for you. The perception that the cloud is more secure, is that coming from the fact that a lot of people are starting to embrace cloud governance models that basically force them to justify their security So it forces them to examine things and kind of understand why they do things the way they do. And if those don't translate well into a cloud environment to refactor that. Can you give me an example? Well, so, for example, maybe you're an organization that was fairly lax on user security for years. And now that you're transitioning things to a cloud model, maybe there's a governance policy that says that all user accounts need to have two-factor authentication. Right. Okay. And this is not something you've had to deal with before, but you can't use the service without using that particular security control. And so you've essentially become more secure by default, but not because of your choice, but because a governance model has forced you to do that. Yes. So if you have a lack security model and then you, you know, create a VPC or a VNet and then, you know, have a tunnel up to another environment and you've extended your lack security model, then you will be equally as vulnerable in the new environment. So in the example that you're using of, you know, adding multi-factor authentication, In my experience, you don't have to force the regular users. So like your administrator that has console access, you can force MFA onto them. If you are leveraging a SaaS environment or an IaaS environment, 
that doesn't have that layer of, of enforcement, then you can still bake in your vulnerabilities. But to your point, yes, if you do layer a governance factor for the particular type of user, then you can by default increase the security. But that's not a good way to do it. I wouldn't simply rely on somebody else's best practices when what you really need is a holistic review of your own security protocols and a review of your own environment to make sure that your own shop is in order. What I find interesting in all of this is that I think the three of us agree on more or less the specific details, but we differ greatly in our interpretation. Hmm. Stripping away all the MBAEs and buzzwords here, the argument for cloud boils down to Clouds are more secure by default, and because most individuals and organizations simply leave the defaults as they are, your implementation of whatever it is you try to do in a cloud is likely to suck less. Now, this has a couple of consequences. First, what we are all pointedly avoiding saying here is the on-premises vendors haven't done their jobs of providing secure defaults. So this really isn't a question of the public cloud infrastructure is inherently more secure. It's basically that the public cloud infrastructure has a teams of people whose job it is to continually secure it and continually develop new secure defaults. They effectively have large operations and security teams that are trying their darndest to secure the thing for which they are responsible, and we all benefit from that expertise and effort. Hooray. However, there is a flip side. You are trusting not just in those defaults and that expertise and etc. and so forth, but also you must then trust that cloud provider's entire supply chain because that realistically is a factor in everything you're doing. And you have to trust the regulatory and governmental environment in which those cloud providers operate. For an American organization, for example, trusting an American cloud provider isn't really a big deal because you're both subject to the same laws. This can be a different consideration for an organization that isn't based in the U.S., or has offices elsewhere that are subject to other laws. And we have seen this play out at scale in some pretty interesting legal gymnastics between, for example, the European Union and the U.S. And certainly, I believe that after we go through the next few months in which we are all going to be publicly having conversations about whether it's okay to start tracking everybody due to coronavirus and what we should be doing with that data, who should have access to it, and the associated do we weaken encryption or not debates that have been flaring up. This puts the concept of trusting a cloud provider and their suppliers and the legal and regulatory environments in which the cloud providers and all of their suppliers operate into question. Now, can a public cloud be made more secure than what you're going to put on premises? Yes. I think that if you use the right approaches, specifically 
Don't trust your public cloud provider. Make sure you encrypt absolutely everything and that you retain control over every bit of data and that they cannot see it. Fine. But this requires that you then have an awareness of what your security situation actually is. You regularly audit it. You regularly test it. And you are constantly bearing in mind the need to exert your own control over your own data and especially your own networking and communications. You know, hey, public cloud can be a very good thing in that scenario. But it is not push button receive security. And that has to be something that we get out there and make as a message because it's no more a road to easy IT than on-premises security is. And if we fall into that trap, if we simply allow that public cloud provider to cause us to turn our brains off, then we've just reinvented the same problem. Yeah, I think that's a great way to summarize it is that, you know, you need to have a security focus as a customer, no matter where you live, because at some level you have to consider that all your bases are covered because you are the only ones that know how to cover all the bases for the data that you own. Now, some parts of it may be easier because you can, assuming you trust a cloud provider that you choose, will cover some elements of it, but that doesn't mean that you need to take your foot off the gas any more than you would on-premises. To that end, Tom, are there any notable things that cloud providers are doing to improve security for their customers, not just at that level where they have responsibility in the shared responsibility model, but maybe providing things to make it easier for the customer above that line? And kind of on the flip side of that, are there any particularly precarious security situations that customers should be looking out for? Oh, this is like a a giant can of worms, realistically (laughs) speaking, because I feel like kind of to Trevor's point, Cloud providers are going to do the minimum necessary to remove liability and keep customers. And so it's constantly um, maybe not a shell game necessarily, but it's a uh, whack-a-mole. So when something comes up, we got to patch it. When a problem starts coming up that's frequent enough that your name gets associated with it, we have to patch or create a solution for that so that it doesn't come up. And if you all I have to do is say Amazon S3 open buckets you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many data breaches have we seen in the last, I don't know, five, six years that have come because people misconfigured the permissions on a bucket? Okay, well, the bucket's encrypted by default. Open S3 buckets everywhere. Yeah. So how are cloud providers fixing this? Oh, well, that's easy. Um, Well, we have tools that'll let you see if they're doing that. Well, you still have to run the tools. So, you know, do we need to take the next step to say, okay, well, all the buckets are not writable by everybody by default or readable by everybody by default until we, you know, you go in and you explicitly do this. I think what cloud providers are starting to get right is that they have to take the most impermissive security policies from the start, you know, lock it down, make it so that only these two things can talk or that you have to explicitly whitelist things to talk. I'm I'm sorry, but I I really have to jump in exactly here because it's too good an opportunity. But here's the thing. As security professionals, We have been explaining this to the IT industry since before the World Wide Web existed. We are still having this conversation, like 30 years later. I think that any of us who believe that the concept of secure by default is ever really going to be a true thing 
that's naive because we have decades of history of getting that little bit close to secure and then everything comes back to ease of use and convenience. And it's a human thing that pushes and pulls us between these two extremes. Another constant struggle between liability and keeping customers, between permissiveness and, and the ability to get up and running quickly without having to, to tweak and play with things. Agile versus waterfall. Yeah. I mean, there's no lack of diametrically opposed approaches that we constantly are swinging back and forth between. Trevor, I would argue that part of the problem comes down to what I would consider the amateur versus professional argument. And not amateur as in like, you know, completely untrained, but more think about there are any one of a number of tools out there that are very simply designed to be extremely flexible and useful, but also come with no safeguards to prevent you from effectively shooting your own foot off if you use them improperly. Right. And, 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 I, and I have to agree violently with you, but let me give you a little bit of context for that. When the priestly caste that guarded the mainframes bought all bullshit about security and access and so forth and so on, then did the personal computer rise to prominence. And when the sysadmins got all bullshit about those sorts of things, then did the public cloud rise to prominence. If we do not understand history, we are doomed to repeat it. You're correct that people who tend to consolidate the power or consolidate the uh, professionalism, I guess would be a good way to frame this, they do tend to hold on to that. And that's no different in any walk of life. I mean, go to any doctor's office in America and the doctors are going to meet out knowledge as they see fit. Well, could it be this? No, 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 no. I'm a doctor. Trust me. I know better than you. Well, you know, there are drawbacks to using WebMD. Because let's face it, I think everything is cancer if you look it up on WebMD. But that history repeating itself aspect of things doesn't just come because people tend to hoard knowledge or people tend to look for, I don't know, objectives to disaggregate or disassemble or, or tear everything apart. I think, you know, that. No, no, I, I can't disagree with you, but it's actually really interesting that that's what you took away from what I said. Because it's actually not what I was attempting to convey. What I was attempting to convey was that in order to adequately secure and back up and so on and so forth, in order to create a professional IT environment that does the things we know we're supposed to do, those environments, by definition, require us to think about how we use them. And thinking about how we use them is inconvenient. So the more professional the environment, the more secure that we make it, the more inconvenient we ultimately make it. And it is that lack of convenience more than anything that will drive people onto the next whatever it is. And it's not because that cloud will inherently be insecure or whatever it is we're talking about, mainframes, PCs. It's because making it so makes it ultimately inconvenient. There's a great quote that I saw the other day. It said, I had to make you uncomfortable because if I didn't, you'd never move or change. And I think that that kind of boils it down insofar as making people uncomfortable from a security perspective forces them to consider their choices. It's almost like the dialogue box that pops up before you completely reformat your system. <laughs> Are you sure you want to do this? I'm making this very inconvenient for you so that you don't do something you're not supposed to. So I understand that perspective. 
I also understand that the perspective coming from someone who's a professional who understands basically how to override safeguards is one thing, but shadow IT organizations that set up cloud by, you know, because they need a thing, they don't understand that. And, and maybe they should, but I would argue that we're going to get a lot closer to making everything 100% secure by default than we're ever going to get close to 100% education about all things security and making people themselves secure by default. I like that perspective of inconvenience and how that drives behavior of businesses, not necessarily of IT, but of the businesses, because that is the whole movement of shadow IT is really kind of push us there because of that. I want to take another kind of perspective on things here. One thing here at iLand that we've seen with our DRs of service customers, those customers that are using us to fail over in, in the case of a disaster, we have security tools that are built in that give that customer more power kind of, again, above that line of where the security model says that we stop and they start, trying to enable them better. And we've actually had customers who will fail over and run those vulnerability scans and find things that their on-premises tools aren't finding. So Trevor, I'm going to start with you. Are there any other novel ways that cloud providers are enabling a more secure environment for their customers? I would argue that it's not the cloud providers that enable a more secure environment, but rather the independent software vendors who provide products and services utilizing cloud services. And this, I think, goes back to that professional argument. If you know what you're doing, then you can use the cloud in a very secure way and use it to provide very secure services that you simply can't do in an on-premises setup. You're not going to go build your own global content delivery network, for example. But I think that a lot of what works for one organization may not necessarily work for the next. And I know that this is essentially heresy to the most IT practitioners, but people are different. Organizations are different. Personalities change. Cultures change. How we are able to understand and visualize and interact with things is different. And the fact that the cloud provides this more or less secure, fundamental basic infrastructure to independent software vendors is allowing those independent software vendors to essentially not have to worry about that chunk of it. They can go out and build some other service on top that offers something, anything, a product or service that is now fundamentally more secure than it would have been otherwise because they don't have to waste that time reinventing the wheel. And that, if anything, that is the true benefit of the cloud. But at that point, we're just moving the goalposts. I mean, we all agree that there has to be a baseline level of security, regardless of whether or not the third-party vendor is accomplishing that or it's baked into what a native service offering is. You're still talking about ticking off the boxes in the security checklist. It's not that they now have more time to spend on, you know, I mean, yes, they're spending more time on their piece of it to differentiate and make their offering better, but there still has to be that same number of checkboxes accomplished at the end of the day. I don't quite think that you got what I was attempting to say there, which is probably my fault, but here's the thing. If a cloud provider makes one service offering and secures it, 
That one service offering provides that service in exactly one way. And there's one way to use it, and there's one way to secure it, and there's one way to connect. And that doesn't work for everyone. But with the fundamental infrastructure being secure, you can now have all these ISVs come in and do that thing in a slightly different way. And each choosing a different balance between where they're focusing on security, where they're focusing on convenience, how they're going to allow interoperation, etc. And it is the very fact that you now have these 15 different ways to approach this problem, each slightly different, but each more secure than the, those same 15 ways would have been on premises because the underlying infrastructure is secure. That's moving us forward. But they are more secure because the fundamental underlying infrastructure is genericized. They're all starting at the same starting point, right? Because the fundamental underlying infrastructure meets a minimum security standard. It's not really that it's genericized that matters. It's just simply that this is a portion of the equation that they didn't have to worry about. And so you're going to necessarily going to go to different cloud providers and say, well, okay, this cloud provider over here, because they are using VMware and because this one over here is using VMware, they're equally secure. That's not really it. I mean, you can achieve that same level of security, for example, if the underlying hypervisor is KVM. There could be significant differences between the implementations provided by those cloud providers. But if what they're doing is ultimately providing an infrastructure that meets this minimum level of security, that whole chunk right up to that point just isn't something the ISV has to worry about anymore. And that's the thing. Not necessarily that it's generic or portable between the different vendors, but just that they solved the security problem up to X. And then on top of that, you can build your differentiation. So it kind of comes down to, generally speaking, the more nerd knobs a customer has access to, the more likely they are to leave a vulnerability. Whereas if I, as a provider, am setting those nerd knobs and gluing them in place so that nobody can move them, I can glue them in the most secure place and everybody benefits from that. Is that kind of in line with what you're saying there, Trevor? To a certain extent, it's um, we could have a debate about whether or not making the nerd knobs accessible is a big deal. But I think the default secure approach is very important, and we shouldn't overlook that. This is where I would go back to the on-premises vendors could have maybe done a better job of default security. But I think it is the fact that you know you come out of the gate and the fundamental underlying infrastructure is default secure up to a certain point. That's the thing that really matters. Ultimately, I understand where everybody's kind of coming from. And there's a lot to be said for, you know, working hard to make sure the underlying infrastructure is secure. How much of the infrastructure do we expose above that level to keep it protected? You know, I always laugh about it when you think about different ecosystems that allow different access to things. You know, think about something like an Android ecosystem where you're allowed to access pretty much everything on the device. And you then look at Apple, where you're pretty much not allowed to access anything below the user interface level. Which one's more secure? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Am I more secure because I can see more and I can lock everything down? Or am I more secure because there's not as many knobs for me to fiddle with? I don't have a good answer. And as Trevor says, it's going to be very dependent upon the users that are using that system. For my mom, the less visible ecosystem is much, much more 
secured because there's less things for them to screw up. Whereas for a seasoned professional or someone who's more than capable, having more visibility reassures me that I'm more secure. But that also means that there's more work to be done. So ultimately, you know, cloud is about learning what you're doing and in some cases relearning what you're doing and finding ways to improve it and make it better. I would argue that cloud is about making a choice as to what you are willing to outsource and whom you're willing to trust with security, data, etc. And to be clear about this, many, if not most of those cloud providers have done a great job and they are good to outsource to, but you do have to view it through the lens of you are outsourcing a chunk of your responsibility to somebody else, but you can never forget what that something is and take the time to periodically review it and make sure that whomever you are outsourcing to is living up to their end of the bargain. Yeah, I think that's a great note to kind of shut down this awesome conversation very reluctantly. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, just to quick summarize the conversation, if that's even possible, you know, I think it came through loud and clear a couple of times that security is greatly determined by your choice of cloud, how mature you are with your knowledge of how to manage the cloud, and really your understanding of what's available in the clouds you choose. You know, first off, make sure you understand this shared security model. That's the very most important thing you can do so that you don't run into leaky bucket news items. Those are fairly easy to prevent from happening if you understand what you're responsible for and how to deal with that. And when you think about those things that the cloud provider is responsible for, you're outsourcing what you don't want to have to deal with. And and a big part of that could be the level of security that you can provide for those underlying infrastructure components and allowing a cloud provider that does that all day, every day and can specialize on that to handle those for you. Of course, all with the assumption that you trust that provider to do that for you. And just like anything in cloud, it's a lot of trust that goes into it. As you look at the cloud and considering how you're going to set up security in a given cloud, use cloud governance models and the advice that they give you, but don't rely solely on that. Really what you should be doing is just like you are on-premises, this doesn't change with the cloud, Make sure you understand top to bottom what's going on in your environment, how secure it is, who needs to get to what, and trying to shut things down as much as you can while still making it functionable. Because that's ultimately how you're going to get security on-premises or in the cloud. Cloud usually is not going to change that for you. And when it comes to what cloud providers can provide to you, it's a constant struggle. We talked about you know the liability that a cloud provider may have to handle versus them wanting to you know, create a platform that's going to keep customers happy. We talked about, you know, the defaults and should they be less permissive and highly locked down by default or, you know, the less permissive permissions are going to give you the best ability to get in and make things work from the very beginning. So that's a give and take there as well, because really inconvenience has been a major driver. And I love that point that you brought up, Trevor, about that. And when it comes down to it, if a cloud provider is providing a, a single option, a single functionality, a single piece of software, that single offering can be highly secure. You know, they can spend a lot of time making sure that all the security components are locked down and set to default. And nobody ever has to worry about that outside of that cloud provider. But just because a provider provides those nerd knobs to 
to you as a customer doesn't mean that it's going to be less secure. It just means that you need to be more involved in the tweaking of those knobs and making sure that security exists. Don't assume that they're all set to the most secure by default and get in there and understand what they all mean. And if you don't want to deal with that, then pick a different cloud provider that is going to manage all that for you and outsource that piece of it. So great conversation. Hate to shut it down, but these guys are out there. They're available to talk to on Twitter and other places. So I'm going to close it out at this point and start by thanking Chris, Tom, and Trevor for that great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, the panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. If you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. I don't want to know. I don't want to know pandemic, quarantine, interfamilial issues other than my own. <laughs> I can't deal with anymore. I, everybody has them. I know. It's terrible. Yeah.